Welcome everybody to Drive to Win. I'm Justin Bell and I am here at the Win in Las Vegas. And it's time for another episode of this new Formula One lifestyle podcast. And I tell you what, it's we're having a lot of fun doing it, getting great response from all of you at home through social media, and the show will continue to get better every week. Now, obviously, we had the uh, race in Barcelona, the Spanish Grand Prix, and we have the Canadian Grand Prix coming up. But this is a week in the middle when there is no Formula One race, which means those young drivers get off to go and have a chance to spend some of the hard-earned money. And believe me, they have a lot of it. So I'd love to be in their shoes for these few days, a weekend at home or on a yacht or whatever. Um, but of course, with the gap between the races, there is no break for the teams and the mechanics, the engineers, the brilliance of the engineering staff, aerodynamicists. Everybody has so much work to do. Yeah, even Red Bull probably have work to do because while it looks like they have that tr stupendous advantage over the rest of the field, which they do, of course, there is also the fact that to keep at the front, the pace of the competition means they've got to stay, at, stay there, which takes a lot of work on a daily basis. And of course, upgrades have been coming for all the teams getting more into play as the next race comes around. But being a week off, you may think, well, why would they do that in the early part of June? Well, it's actually time for the Le Mans 24 hours, the Vancateur du Mans. It's the 100th anniversary of the first running of this, probably one of the most famous races in the world. We talked about it on last week's show. You have Indy 500, you have the Monaco Grand Prix, and of course you have the Le Mans 24 hours. And many, many drivers have wanted to win all three of those. It's like the triple crown of motorsports. And one guy came pretty close, and that is our guest for today, Mario Andretti. Yeah, you heard it. The one and only Mario Andretti, the, the biggest brand name as a driver perhaps in the world over the last 50 years. And he'll be joining us from his home in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Um, but a little bit about Le Mans. I kicked off the first episode of Drive to Win with some background on myself. And it's sort of is more appropriate today than it was there because my family history at Le Mans is really what made our mark. Yeah, my dad did race for Ferrari in Formula One 1970. But his five wins at Le Mans, he could have won about three more if fate hadn't got in the way right at the end. But that is the nature of Le Mans. It is so tough to win. 24 hours, which is, you know, effectively they're running for over about 12 Formula One races in distance. And it is now just as intense all the way through the field. Remember, it's also multi-class racing. So Le Mans has all these different categories down the field from the prototypes, which is the first year of this LMDH homologated rules where it's convergence of regulations worldwide between the FIA, the WEC, and IMSA. And these uh, hybrid prototypes are literally pound for pound as fast as a modern-day Formula One car. But they have different demands. They have kind of like almost a second seat, not really, electronics in that side. But it's it's got the philosophy, the overarching philosophy uh, of sports cars, which is long-distance, high-pressure racing. And at Le Mans, 24 hours starting at 4 o'clock, on the Saturday, going till four o'clock on the Sunday. LeBron James is the Grand Marshal. So all the festivities being brought in. Uh, for me, my biggest moment at Le Mans was in 1995 on Father's Day when uh, my dad, Andy Wallace, and I in that beautiful green and yellow 
Harrods McLaren F1 GTR. Cars are now worth about $30 million, I'll add. Um, we got to race that around that track in the heyday of that iconic sports car. It, it just to this moment, the most important thing I've ever done. And certainly my only real chance at that point of driving a car that was so state-of-the-art, I think every kid that could would have a poster of it up on his bedroom wall. It was just, it was just brilliant. So Le Mans is, is such an epic. It's also one of those races that retains its danger factor. Now, I say that not with sort of salacious happiness. It's really the fact that so many tracks in racing have become incredibly safe with enormous amounts of runoff. Well, not Le Mans. Uh, I mean, as people have died there, sadly, with regular occasion, because anytime you're running on a track that is so close to the guardrails, so close to the trees, that if something goes wrong, you can be atomized if you hit the trees. I mean, just staggering. And in fact, the near misses are as legendary, uh, thank goodness, as the actual horrible fatalities. I was racing, I think it was 97, we're in the Viper, and there's a famous photograph where you can see the Mercedes, uh, which was the Mercedes prototype. Michael Schumacher was actually out in those at the time as well. And it took off, and I was looking, well, I'll tell you what happened. I'm driving along. I'm going down the Mulsanne Strait. We're doing about 210 miles an hour, and I could see the Mercedes coming up behind me. And so I stayed on the left, and as we went over the famous Le Mans Brow on the Le Mans Strait, the Mulsanne, you're doing maximum velocity between the two chicanes. And suddenly I saw the underside of his car, and I'm like, what the heck was that? And I thought, whoever that is, then they're dead. But he did a complete flip and landed the other side of the guardrail in amongst some trees right way up in between a small clearing of tree stumps. I mean, remarkable. Uh, so I pulled in the pits because it was full, the track was full, full red. And uh, I was like, how... Did the guy survive? I mean, it was, it was almost too much to take in. The next day, the other Mercedes, the sister Mercedes had the same thing. So it wasn't the weekend to be a Mercedes driver. Let's put it like that. Um, but Le Mans has also attracted crowds because of the fan festival it is. It's sold out, 100% sold out for the weekend, which has never happened before. In every form of hospitality, about 300,000 people will go. French, Germans, uh, you know, Dutch. I mean, it's quite literally... The, the, the biggest uh, exodus of these European countries to one sporting event of the calendar and uh, spectacular, actually. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I couldn't be more excited to, to you know, talk about it because it's kind of my thing. Um, also going there, which is a really nice segue, is there are 10 uh, ex-Formula 1 drivers currently racing at Le Mans for the weekend. And some of them, you, Paul DeResta, you, you've heard of. He has quite a lot on the Sky broadcast. I mean, amongst those, you've also got uh, Brendan Hartley. He, remember, he was in Formula One for a while. You've got Philippe Nasser, Andre Lotra racing with, uh, with, all with Audi, I mean, Porsche. I mean, it's quite an incredible lineup that we have of these drivers, and uh, that's why it's so attractive. Go back a couple of years. Do you remember when Fernando Alonso had his little uh, sojourn from, or whatever you call it, uh, break uh, from Formula One? where he went off and revitalized himself in terms of focus, dedication, and not that he was lost it from Formula One, but he wanted a break. And he went and answered that calling by actually going to Le Mans and winning it uh, and going to Daytona 24 hours and winning it. And I think his experiences there at Le Mans 
uh, were in every way matched his expectations. That's why so many drivers, uh, even Max Verstappen a couple of weeks ago said on an interview, you know what, when I'm retired from Formula One, it doesn't mean I'm retiring from racing itself. I love racing and uh, Le Mans is one of the races that's on his, and the Nürburgring 24 hours that's on his radar. So uh, the future is bright in all forms of motorsport, even when some of the superstars move out of the Formula One territory. Uh, so, you know, let's, uh, oh, one other thing meant to mention. The American crowd here, we know, uh, obviously, I know you're all Formula One fans, but I'm sure some of you are NASCAR fans. The car that really needs following along is the uh, Garage 56, which is a special entry at Le Mans where you're not eligible for points, prize money, trophies, but it's, if you like, the end garage that represents uh, technology, future, future development in cars. Uh, they ran the Delta Wing there a few years ago, which is almost, a, it was a four-wheel car, but two very close front wheels. Their first time they run a hybrid, the first time they've run electric, all from Garage 56. And this year it is the NASCAR entry um, run by Hendrix Motorsports and so much social media right now about it. The drivers, Jensen Button, Mike uh, Rockenfeller, and Jimmy Johnson are being trained by Jordan Taylor, uh, are all racing together. Uh, Rocky's won it quite a few times, uh, well, has won Le Mans, been on the podium and won in class a lot. And he's the sort of experienced hand up amongst Jensen Button, who has raced there before, but uh, all out in a car that apparently is just, echoing the, the noise of that V8 thundering around Le Mans has been quite spectacular. And that's uh, not only great for sports cars for us to see it, but it's a way of obviously promoting NASCAR's future Ford into what it would like to do in Europe and attracting fans. It's obviously quite heavily modified. You couldn't run a NASCAR at the ride height that it has on, on a normal track. They've even made special uh, air jacks to go on. I mean, they're not allowed air jacks, which are the normal jacks that come out under the car in sports cars. Instead, they're having to use their um, floor jacks like they do in a NASCAR race. But of course, to run fast, to run at 200 miles an hour, the car has to be lowered to the ground. And to go around the corners, it has to be lowered to the ground. And so they've developed special jacks and things. I mean, it truly is uh, a crowd pleaser. And the guys are serious. At the moment, the uh, last thing I heard, they were running as fast as any of the, the other GT cars. So quite spectacular. Well, shall we introduce our first, well, our main guest for today, Mario Andretti, uh, one of only uh, three drivers to ever have won races in Formula One, IndyCar, sports cars, and NASCAR. Uh, obviously, an immigrant who came over here with his brother Aldo. They came over, they first were riding around racing bicycles, and then got the chance to work at a local uh, garage, and then got some races in. There was a a midget track down the road. That's where they first saw racing by stealing under the fence and taking a look at it. They got a car, they built a car, they started winning and, and the rest is history. I mean, he was the 1978 Formula One champion, four IndyCar titles. Uh, he won Indy in 1969, the 500. He won the Daytona 500. And actually, this is a fun tidbit. He was the last US driver to win a Formula One race in 1978. So a man that truly understands not just the demands uh, and pressures of being a Formula One driver, but also what it takes to be an all-rounder and just basically proves that if you're an excellent uh, pilot behind the wheel, you can win in anything. So Mario, uh, you are my hero and I couldn't be more excited 
to have you here on Drive to Win. Nice to see you, man. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you, Justin. Thanks for having me. Well, it it was it's easier for me to come to Vegas than like I did last time to come to your place. But I got to say, uh, being at your house was for Life with Legends was like an insight into what what happens to someone, what their world looks like when they've won a lot of races. And thank you for having me there. <laughs> it was very cool. Uh, my pleasure. You can you may visit anytime. I'll have a uh, warm coffee for you. I love that. Well. One of the things, and it's getting better all the time. Um, One of the things that uh, I remembered most from when we talked was you said, and you said it so many times in interviews, that you and just as Andretti's, you love racing. You just love racing of all kinds. And obviously your career, you know, portrayed that. So as someone that loves racing, what's your feeling so far on on the Formula One season? Because I know you watch the races. Well, uh, I think it's, it's exciting for me, no matter uh, what what is happening, because I always look forward to it. But uh, uh, it's quite predictable, you know. Is it something new? <laughs> no. I mean, it's um, uh, you know, Red Bull and Max uh, just uh, they 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 have their arms around it, you know, yeah. uh, no matter where they are, and um, and when. They falter for whatever reason. Uh, Seems like Checo picks up the pieces and and uh, and and usually uh, you know puts it all together. So you know it's it's amazing. Uh, you got to give them credit. You know how um, uh, you know how much they've been on their game. You know no matter where they go and uh, well, no matter what they're facing as far as the conditions and so forth. Uh, uh, that's admirable. But honestly. Yeah, but you had your own period of dominance, and it's very easy for everyone else to say, oh, just out the front, they're cruising. It's not easy to stay at the top no, of the field, is no. it? No, it's not. I mean, it's uh, uh, again, you know, it's uh, you're up there because obviously you have the equipment, whatever, but uh, uh, mistakes and so on and so forth can always happen. I mean, you're still at the razor's edge. Uh, <clears throat> No matter how much you think you have some sort of an advantage, uh, you know, the competition is always right at your heels. Uh, so, again, you know, it, it, that's why, uh, you know, any way you look at it, I give Max uh, a lot of credit and the Red Bull team, you know, for just being on it. Uh, you know, my good friend Adrian Nui is the magician there, <laughs> no question about it. And uh, his magic continues. <laughs> when did you first run across Adrian? Oh, back in the eighties. Oh wow! Actually, I'm the one that I, I was uh, instrumental in bringing him to uh, to Newman Haas through Lola, and uh, I had a phenomenal season in '87 with him. Uh, uh, the only problem is <laughs> reliability. Uh, we went uh, with the Chevy engine too early, and uh, you know we. Uh, we dominated the races that we won. We dominated, but uh, we couldn't finish them, uh, including Indy. You know, at Indy, I was uh, in 87. It was just amazing. I was quickest every single day, put the car on pole and just uh, was going away. You know, I, I, I led 171 of 200 laps and then uh, dropped the valve, you know, and then uh, Ilmore engine. And, um, but I uh, had, 
I think it was a lap plus in the lead at the time and, and taking it easy. I mean, that, I mean, obviously you were the one behind the wheel and uh, it's like Max is the one behind the wheel, but Adrian's brilliance obviously was starting to show then. Uh, you knew him as he was starting out then. What, what would you say when you work with an engineer that makes it different? Because there are guys that give people like you and even me that level of confidence and, and ability to extract more from the car. What was his gift? Do you, I mean, what's his gift that you saw then that he has now, for sure? His gift was clearly uh, understanding what was going on. Like uh, speaking with Adrian, uh, you felt that you were totally understood. There's some engineers, you talk to them, you think your word just bounced right off their forehead. You know, but uh, he... He understands the dynamic. He understands. He always, always did seem like he did because as I was talking, the way he would respond to me, I said, yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, so it was just so easy to be on the same page with him. And um, and that always gave me so much confidence. Do you know, we were on a grid at Indy. And about 15, 20 minutes before the start of the race, we changed the front springs only because the conditions were changing somewhat. <laughs> wow. So and I mean, really a tiny change, but, and we were, and the car, I never had a car to stay neutral throughout the race, but we were so on it. And, um, and again, with him, I just had the confidence as well, but the car worked. I mean, there's no question. Um, I would take Adrian today. I'd come out of retirement today if he wouldn't. <laughs> He'd be my engineer. <laughs> you heard that here, everyone. Um, but you almost did come out of retirement. But before I'm going to ask you that uh, about, I him, never retired. No, do you know I what? Just, as Dad said, why would you? Why would you retire? It's when my dad made the third set of T-shirts saying "Back out of retirement for Le Mans." You know, what I mean, he decided that and that he'd never do it again. Uh, never promote it as a retirement. Um, that it was funny because during the broadcast they made a comment about Adrian Newey and said what he what's he worth and I think they said uh, uh, I mean Christian Horner would hate uh, Martin Brundle for saying this but he's probably worth as much as his top driver can you imagine what he did for his 10 year deal or 15 year deal uh, remarkable well whatever it is I guarantee you that he's worth it <laughs> yeah and you know, I'd, um, if I was a driver, I'd give up part of my salary to have him on the team. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, the man gets it done. And, uh, and you know, he's one of those that uh, the beautiful thing about Adrian is uh, he has the practical ability on top of uh, all of the whatever is available today, obviously, on the technical side. Uh, but he's got the practical side and uh, he knows that the computer does not drive the car. And uh, that's the difference. And he listens. But tell me, I, I didn't see you since you drove the McLaren. I saw you two weeks before when we did our Life with Legends. You talked to, you know, you were heading off to do the McLaren drive, a 2016 car, right? Or 15 um, at Laguna. How was it? Oh, the car is fabulous i mean everything that um i nothing surprised me uh, mm. everything was just uh, what i was expecting except that uh, we just it just didn't have uh, the ability to adjust the cockpit uh, i'm you know i'm not average height as you as you <laughs> know and so uh there was no adjustability on the 
pedal platform at all or the steering length. And, uh, and, and when they padded the cockpit, you know, that there was not a seat there. Uh, they put a lot of foam rubber and it was too soft. And even though I felt somewhat comfortable when I was sitting in the pits, but as soon as I went out, I started pulling some G's. I was like in a jelly ball. So I could not really ring the car the way I wanted to, you know, because I think, you know, the way the performance of the car is, I know I, I, I could have set a record in uh, Laguna Seca for sure, for sure, for sure. And, uh, but I, I just couldn't, I had no feeling of the car. I figured I'm not going to crash it, you know, so I had to just um, be content and, uh, and do what I could. But uh, it was, that was a disappointment. Uh, next time that I would, you know, if I would get an opportunity, I said, I would have to have a seat port if yeah. I have to bring the individual there myself. It'd be so important. You have to, on something like that, you have to fit, you have to feel the car. You can't be, you know, it was like the padding was so soft around me. And uh, so unfortunately, um, I could not, again, you know, just uh, ring the car the way I wanted to. That would have been amazing, wouldn't it? Mario Andretti sets yes. new lap record at, at Laguna Seca. I mean, I don't know when the last time you drove around there in IndyCar was, but it was probably the old, it was the new track. But, yeah, yeah, with the yeah. old car. Yeah, I, but I, you know, uh, I've been on, I mean, I've been driving it like even if it's a two-seater, I yeah. mean, I'm up to speed thing, you know, so I know where all the, you all know, everything are. is. It would just be so good. Yeah. But you're right, right? When you're sitting in a car, it makes you, you just made me realize I was watching Lewis's hands, that great shot from behind the wheel that you see in, you know, cameras everywhere. Right. Um, and which I love, but you see, he's holding the wheel like this. He wasn't like, you know, he, he was holding it just with his fingers like this. And, and I was thinking that means your core must be so set in the car. You must be able to, 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 you know, to be able to, to have that much composure and freedom in your hands. Right. You must be so set in the in the seat exactly right i mean you don't have to worry about hanging on or yeah. something you know because you're disappearing in the cockpit that's what was happening to me and uh, uh again uh unfortunately that was the case but um other than that i think uh, i owe zach brown a great deal yeah. for giving me that opportunity anyway but uh again everything that i felt you know in a car is what i expected and I just, uh, I just was not able to just really do what I wanted to do with it. Wow. Well, I hope you get another chance. Um, obviously, a guy that didn't step away for as long as, as you have there. But when you watch Fernando Alonso, and last weekend, obviously, at Barcelona, it was a pretty mediocre performance for them. One that they'd have been happy with at the beginning of the year. I know that. But, you know, by running around in sixth place and seventh place, um, he didn't have the race he wanted, but all the season up to that point, he was spectacular. Uh, what do you recognize or look for or respect in his style of driving as someone that has achieved so much, has more experience than anyone else on the grid, and now he's having that second career phase, which I'm sure you can identify with. What do you see in his driving that is allowing him to do that? I see enjoyment. He's mm. thoroughly enjoying what he's doing. and. Uh, and the team has really stepped up uh, with the performance of the car from last year a great deal. I mean, miracles don't happen, you know, in this game. No. And uh, as good as he is, he still has to have a car because you can see that 
uh, Lance Stroll is pretty much right there with him, you know, very close. And yeah, I have a lot of respect for Lance, by the way. You know, I think he's always shown a uh, really great ability right from the beginning, you know. So, um, uh, and it, you saw that in actually in Spain, uh, he outperformed uh, qualifying and in, in the race, he outperformed yeah. with Alonso. So it speaks loudly about the car, but. Uh, Fernando himself, it looks like he's very happy with his life right now. He's happy what he is. And uh, I think his attitude has really given the team, you know, a lot of zest, you yeah. know, a lot of uh, uh, encouragement. And everybody's, I think everybody's really enjoying their time there. And that's when a team functions the best, obviously, when you have that relationship, uh, camaraderie, you know, with uh, your engineers, your mechanics. And obviously, Lawrence Stroll is is no joke either in his commitment, is he? I mean, that guy, that guy. I'm sure he got involved in the beginning because my son's doing karting and then making his way up. I don't doubt whether he ever thought he'd be buying Formula One teams and things, but you, you can't knock his commitment. It's it's like Flavio on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I give him all the credit in the world. You know, he's uh, committed and uh, his commitment is showing uh, results. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm. You're, I mean, you're, you're a man that Ferrari, obviously, and we talked about it in our original interview, Ferrari were, were the goal for you. Obviously, as a kid, you got there. Ferrari for me, I said every show almost, I, I root for red just because it seems it's just deeply ingrained. And I think everyone up and down the pit lane roots for them. Every driver would like to wear that suit. Uh, what's your analysis of the Ferrari problem? <laughs> I wish I knew. I mean, it's, it's somewhere. I mean, it, mm. uh, for some reason, I, uh, I don't know. Uh, there are times when I'm sitting on the couch and, you know, and, uh, and I think I could have made a better call on tires, for instance, uh, than they have been yeah. doing. So, and that's not a good thing. Um, I don't know about the strategist. Uh, uh, I don't know also, uh, how much input the drivers really have, whether they just pretty much say, okay, you do this, you do that. And they do it. Uh, but, uh, sometimes, uh, I, it's, you have to be inside to really uh to really put a you know your finger on what's what's really happening there but uh i think that uh, the potential is greater than what the, they're able to get out of the the situation uh they could tell that the entire weekend um in spain you know the last one uh, charles leclerc you know he he just didn't have his uh, he he was lost with that yep. car uh, I couldn't believe it, and uh, and some of the comments he was making. Also, he said uh, the car, you know, like qualifying, said so the car on the left hand corner is undrivable. Uh, what in the world, you know? Yeah. Is it uh, aerodynamic? Is it uh, the, the, you know, the suspension? Uh, what is it, you know? But there's something wrong. So, and he's having some of these issues. Yeah, and then Carlos was on the front row, but. You know, just not understanding, you yeah. know, just uh, in the race, uh, the race pace. I mean, he, he, you know, he was down there, with, unfortunately, with the Williams, you know. Yeah, so. Which is saying something. Um, well, let's talk about that 5,000 pound gorilla that's been standing in the Formula One corner all year, and that is Andretti 
back in Formula One, uh, I know when we talked off camera, you know, you told me some of the, the pitfalls and the, the issues. What's the current status? How, what's going on? Well, everything seems to be, you know, pretty much uh, in place, if you will, uh, from the standpoint of uh, what has been asked of them. And, uh, and right now, it's just uh, everything is evaluated, uh, uh, as they call it. You know, it's, uh, all the protocol is taking place and it uh, looks like uh, there should be a decision, I'm told, sometime around uh, the middle of uh, July. That's what uh, Michael, uh, I think, said. And, um, and that's it. You know, we keep our fingers crossed that uh, I think we, we have uh, so much going in that respect. Uh, I think I keep saying uh, uh, General Motors officially has never been officially in Formula One. And, and this is a historic moment, you know, to bring the largest uh, U.S. manufacturer to Formula One. Uh, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a wonderful thing. And uh, so uh, I think we're armed with something that's very, very, um, you know, just uh, unbelievably uh, <laughs> useful and wonderful for the sport. Uh, so and there's a long-term commitment. Uh, so that obviously should um, obviously make a big difference as far as where you're looking at the future. Uh, so I don't know what else. Yeah. Well, I mean, 2026 in formula one years, isn't a long way away. Is it? I mean, and Michael said something I read the other day about, you know, when questioned whether they were ready, you know, will you, would you be ready in time? If you got the green light now, he said, we're already neck deep in working on it. I'm sure that has to be the case, right? Working with GM and getting all the stakeholders together. It's a, it's a big ramp to the takeoff. Yeah, yeah, I mean that. That's uh, absolutely. It's a work in progress. It's uh, when they say go, it, you don't start from scratch, and they're already well on their way because uh, it has to happen in twenty twenty five. You know that was made very clear, and uh, and so uh, that's the that's the that's what you're gonna you know, do. Wow, that's the game. Um, that's the goal. That that is the goal. Uh, and obviously so exciting, so exciting for everyone to, to watch if you guys can pull it. Well, you will pull it off. Um, but obviously you mentioned, uh, we well, didn't mention, I'm going to mention three races in America now, uh, which when you were racing, I mean, I remember like Formula One in the 70s, going to Watkins Glen, going to the other street races you've been on. You've been in probably quite a few of the US Grand Prix over the years. It's unbelievable that we have three now in America. And one is coming here to Las Vegas. Yeah, about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, everything is, you know, is going in the right direction as far as uh, America, again, you know, being the only country to field uh, three Formula One races. And uh, I don't think there would be anything too wrong to have a full, full. Um, I know they have uh, the Gene Haas team and so forth, but, uh, you know, this, this would be little bit different in that respect mm -hmm. as far as the effort. I mean, uh, uh, they're doing just great, but uh, this effort will be fully, fully 100% America, you know, and ultimately engines. And Michael said there will always be an American driver in there, at least one. Uh, and then ultimately maybe just both. But uh, it would, you know, it would be, I think it would be something that should be appealing. 
I would suspect should be appealing to the Formula One fans, to the American fans especially, you know, to, to be represented. Uh, let's face it, I always said, you know, Formula One is the Olympics of motorsports. It's, mm. uh, you know, it's got that international flavor, full international flavor. And, um, and so you want to fly your flag, you know, within that. And uh, so there's a lot of pride that goes with it. And um, all of this plays, plays very well. Yeah, it really does. Every, I mean, that's that's why we're doing this show, just because there's so much interest and we're, we're really capitalizing on that and trying to tell the American stories and, and, you know, with the focus on everybody coming here to Vegas, you know, the 22nd race of the year. Uh, it's a great bubble. It's a great bubble. Yeah. Great bubble, you want to feed it. Yeah. You know, it, you exactly. want to feed that bubble. You got it. And, and it's so nice for a change that, you know, the 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 motorsports uh bubble is encompassing America. That that feels good, you know, because for so That's long huge. Formula That's One was happening yeah. over there. Um what year did you first do the Canadian Grand Prix? It's amazing. I I was in seventy seven, I was over a lap. I had I lapped the field and uh, and and uh, I was running, it was running out of oil. I think it was uh, consuming the Cosworth engine they had. They had, uh, I don't know, they were, mechanically, there was something uh, experimental. And uh, I was running out of oil. And on that last lap, on the lap going up the straightaway, which is, it's the Andretti straightaway, yeah. Mario Andretti straightaway, the engine blew up. And uh, I tried to weave around sort of scatter, you know, oil and so forth, you know, but <laughs> and uh, and I coasted and I was like maybe uh, 10 meters from oh. start finish line and uh, and I was classified sixth. Jeez. That would have been a world championship in 77, by the way, just by winning that race, oh. which, you know, it's not the only one that I dropped out leading. Good Lord. Well, obviously, well, this weekend is is circuit Gilles Villeneuve. So I know that's the, that's the, uh, that's the big one. Um, it's a great layout. Great, great layout, layout, right? Great, great city to go to. Um, what do you think we're going to see this weekend? Uh, much change in the order of the cars? Obviously Red, well, Bull, Red know, Bull will sort off in the distance, but everyone else? Well, maybe not. I mean, it's, uh, we've seen uh, Mercedes actually really come to life, uh, in the last couple of races, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you never know. Um, uh, you know, you could, if you had to predict, you, uh, you would predict the uh, Red Bull dominating again, you know, but uh, uh, that's what really makes it interesting, quite honestly. So maybe they won't, you know, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. Uh, so everybody's working hard, you know that. Nobody's sitting still. And, uh, and so uh, we'll see. Uh, but uh, like any other race, you know, I always look forward to these events so much, you know, because I just love it. Yeah, still love it. Well, I know one race that you that is the one you didn't win out of the the long list of of big victories was the Le Mans twenty four hour. Obviously, that is at the weekend, and there's ten X Formula One drivers in it. As I said at the top of the show, Fernando Alonso wanted, you know, he went and won it. And I know you went there with Michael and actually one of the years I was racing with dad, uh, I, when we were in the Harrods McLaren, you know, you were in, in one of the prototypes, 
Le Mans is one that never quite came your way, but you really wanted to win it, didn't you? I want class. Yeah, that's true. And it's I really won class. class, so I say I won it as well. So, okay, I won it. We well, can you only won, win the one. I, I was 98. You won class. Yeah. You know, obviously, you know, we, we should have should have won it. There were some mistakes made uh, by me. And then uh, I think Bob Wallach, you know, we both had, had a couple of mistakes that delayed us. Uh, I mean, I went like crazy. I made up uh, my time lost overnight. But uh and nevertheless, you know, we, we won class and should have won that race. Uh, but uh, for some reason or other, uh, I don't know why. I, I, I had, I love Le Mans. I don't know why I crashed a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm not a crasher, you know, but I love driving and that course and so on and so forth, everything about it. And, um, I don't know why I crashed so much there, but um, I had some uh, good running, you know, like a couple of podiums, uh, two or three podiums, uh, which I enjoy very much. Yeah. Um, we had uh, in 98, we had uh, driving for Porsche factory there. We uh, There's another one that uh, sort of uh, slipped through our fingers yeah. because uh, uh, we, yeah, we lost a cylinder. Uh, actually, uh, it was... Uh, uh, an injector, a fuel injector, and uh, we ran on five cylinders from from one in the morning until finish, and we still finished sixth. What helped us was was wet, about five yeah. hours of wet. But uh, nevertheless, um, um, yeah, yeah. Overall, however, I uh, look back uh, just the experiences that I've had. You know, finishing podium uh, with Michael. Uh, you know, uh, in 1983 uh, with a Porsche 956, and uh, uh, it, it's all been positive. Yeah, I've just had the opportunity to to race there like uh, eight eight times, I guess. And, yeah. uh, and my first one was in uh, 1966, and my last one was in 2000. <laughs> you know, so you can see that. Uh, I saw actually. I, I drove uh, on uh, three different layouts there, uh, so uh, I have some good experience and uh, good memories. Yeah, well, great memory. Well, and they do. I mean, I remember seeing the the crowds. You're such a big name that they Le Mans. They it attracts the big names and the fans go wild. And I think this weekend with Jensen Button and in in that Garage Fifty Six NASCAR. <laughs> I mean. They can hear that. I mean, one of my friends, you can hear it coming the other end of the Mulzahn, you know? It's wild. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I mean, let's face it, Le Mans is Le Mans. I mean, it's, uh, you know, when you talk about sports cars, uh, that's it. That's the, that's a crown jewel uh, in every way you look at it. Classic. Um, and the, the course, the layout in itself is awesome. Uh, it's got... Um, all the qualities that you're looking for there, the ambiance and, and everything. So, uh, yes, uh, it's it's a race, uh, obviously, that, um, that stands out, no question. And uh, we always look forward to totally, you know, being in it or watching it. Yeah. Well, um, I'm sure I'll see you over the summer somewhere. And uh, are you going to be able to make it to Vegas? You will make it to the Grand Prix? I haven't got a room yet. Oh, so, so you are going to we'll take see. me up on my offer of an air mattress <laughs> in the Blue Wire Studios. That would be cool. 
I'm sure we can. Yeah, we'll sure. see one. Yeah. See what yeah, happens. I don't take up my phone. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, Mario, thank you so much. It was always great. And we'll, we'll get you on again later in the year. Thank you, my friend. You bet. Thank you for having me. Well, they say you should never meet your heroes, but you're actually totally wrong. Uh, you certainly should meet your heroes. And just talking with Mario uh, sort of makes me have goosebumps. And I'm so lucky, and I hope you feel that too, watching the show, just to have his experience. He's the voice of decades of knowledge, and certainly his viewpoint on Formula One and the racing worldwide is, well, I mean, it's spot on, isn't it? So what, what an honor. Um, obviously, it is time coming up in a few days for the Canadian Grand Prix at the circuit Gilles Villeneuve. Uh, I should have mentioned, actually, that Jack Villeneuve, Gilles' son, is racing at Le Mans. So uh, that's a nice uh, tie-in. Of course, we saw him do very well, world champion, actually, in Formula 1. Uh, a lot going on coming into to Canada. So much was shown at Barcelona, the first track after Monaco, where they had the upgrades in part for some of the cars, the ability to see what they were like in higher mid-corner and higher top speed, especially with the longer DRS zones. So, so much uh, to indicate, again, going into a track like uh, Circuit uh, Gilles, Gilles Villeneuve. Um, I do think that we're not going to see too much of a shuffle at the top. Uh, is anyone going to be able to stop the Red Bull rocket? Well, the answer absolutely categorically is no. Um, I think that... Max probably has to come up with something internally. I mean, this is my viewpoint. I obviously never experienced it like he did does, but I remember in Vipers we were dominating in the world championship in class, and the crew chief, my my engineer, would come on and say, "Okay, JB, you can hold at this pace," which was slower than we could go. And it was in those moments that all hell would break loose, and you'd lose a little bit of concentration. You, you might be a bit careless in traffic and sometimes accidents would happen or incidences could occur, which, let's face it, the rest of the grid are absolutely praying and hoping for. And, you know, for Sergio Perez's point of view, going into this weekend, he has to, he has to qualify well. If he makes another qualifying mistake and puts it in the kitty litter, you know that that's going to absolutely screw with his brain. And in the words of David Hobbs from a couple of weeks ago, there is no equal fight uh, like Titans going for the championship. Sergio has to do his job, and that is protect second place, block out Mercedes in the manufacturer points from gaining pretty much. If they keep getting seconds and thirds, they will, they will win the manufacturer points. And that is something that Rebels just simply can't stand for. So the pressure on Sergio is not to win. It's to be the perfect wingman protect uh, Max's rear end and obviously help control the race. So that is a big job. And if, when it comes to job security, if you do that job well as the second driver, as the teammate to greatness, then you've done it well. Eddie Irvine with Mike Schumacher, Michael Schumacher. There were so many examples over history where the second driver uh, really had a role to play and it didn't involve winning races. Um, obviously, with Mercedes getting themselves up second and third at Barcelona, Lewis's, I mean, I just love Lewis's reaction in the post-race interview when asked if could he really do well at, uh, you know, can he take the fight by the end of the year to, to the Rebel? And he just kind of looked around and went, no, they're just too far, far, far apart. But remember, Lewis went through his own decade of dominance, so to speak. He won everything. He won all those championships. And now uh, he's, 
he's just as talented, just as fast, just as hungry. And their work ethic uh, and him and George Russell working together, I think we're going to see some, we are going to see some great things. It's just maybe not going to knock Max off the top spot. They just had to be ready to pounce if something happens. Uh, Obviously, with Aston, not a lot of news coming out why they weren't so good at the last race. Um, I, I mean, I'm... I can only think that the car, something in the car didn't suit um, Alonso. Obviously, he says he damaged the undertray when he went wide uh, and qualifying, and I think that that may be part of it. But uh, you think they replace everything they can. But his car obviously was still not the pace. And Lance Stroll, well, for me, he was he was just so good uh, in Barcelona. I think his confidence must be up. There was a moment when he was taking with you know fighting with Lewis. For the you know for for the last uh, uh, the start rather, and I was like bloody hell, that is Lewis Hamilton. He's Lance Stroll, um, and no disrespect to Lance, but you don't put him on the same ranking as Lewis. And he took the fight to him. So the Aston's obviously pretty sporty, and I hope that uh, I really hope that he can continue that form um, because it makes everyone feel better. And Ferrari, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's like. Ferrari. It's a Ferrariism, right? Is that a verb? I can't remember. Jeremiah said it earlier. It's nodding. It's a verb. Ferrariism. Ferrariitis. I don't know. It's pretty awful, isn't it? Um, which is sad to say for someone that always wanted to wear a red race suit and uh, with the, the yellow and black prancing horse. It is, they're the team I root for and uh, pretty much on every, every week. Uh, I just hope they can, they can find that form. You know that, uh, Carlos Sainz, he drove ahead of the car to get itself up there and uh, the grid is second, obviously, at Barcelona um, on the grid. And he was right there, thereabouts during the race. Terrible, typical shitty Ferrari calls, caused them problems. Um, judging by the press on, on their post-Barcelona sort of reviews, they know they, know they have so much to do. And they, as, as, uh, as the team principal said, it's really not just one thing. We can't find it. We need to find it. And uh, let's just hope they do better at the next race because the sport globally does well economically when Ferrari is at the front. That's just a fact. And they deserve it. And, of course, the, the Alpine showing us that they were they were great at Barcelona too, right up at the, at the top. So I think that we're going to have a pretty good showing from the best of the rest going into this weekend's race. I, I can't wait for it. I hope you you enjoy it. We will be back next week to dissect it, talk with some really cool guests, and everybody likes going to Montreal. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of uh, great festivity from the pre, pre-grid show and all the social media. So uh, get a handle on that. Please follow along at our new social media. We have Drive to Win on Instagram. It's a fledgling account, so all your support would be most welcome. And obviously, give us any ideas on people we could try and get on the show. I promise you we are getting some current drivers coming up soon. They're starting to hear about the show and uh, pretty keen to come on it. After all, who doesn't want to be at the win in Las Vegas? Uh, Talking of which, it is uh, still the ramp up to not just the Concours at the win, which will be happening the Saturday before Grand Prix week. We then have this whole week of hypercar invitational high-speed events, driving on runways, going to national parks with fast tours. There's a lot going, a lot to follow along. But it all starts with the ribbon cutting on the Wednesday night as the paddock facility, this magnificent 20-acre facility just behind the win, is being opened. And the first time everybody gets out there. Uh, 
you can tell that there are, I forgot about this. Uh, you could tell, <laughs> it's probably the most fun thing I saw today, uh, that Lando Norris put up a video of him on, it was PlayStation, right? The new PlayStation um, uh, 2023 edition. And it's the first time anyone has seen the Vegas track. And this obviously, it only exists in the sim world right now. And it was so fun. Lando on his uh, Twitch account, um, driving the track for the first time, learning it. He just looked like a little kid. He looked like my son, um, minus the paycheck, uh, as in he has a paycheck, uh, playing, the, playing the sim and just watching him get up to speed. And the coolest part about it was seeing the cars go down the strip, turning right just past the win. You could see them go past all the famous Vegas landmarks making their way uh, and seeing him pick out the corners going, oh, that's really tight. Oh, that's not going to be an easy one. And then, oh, that's fast. There's the only DRS zone. Uh, was really educational. And old people like me, uh, we never got the chance to do that. We had to walk it. So uh, what an advantage. But you and I can drive on the track at the win. So how about that? We've got to try that when the, when the game comes out. So uh, follow along on our social media. And of course, uh, go to win Las, win Las Vegas slash experiences slash F1 if you want to be here in person. And literally, you could be standing outside our studio during the week of the Grand Prix. And we'll have people, yeah, that guy walking past there, but maybe you'll stop and look. Um, we're going to be doing that all week. So it'll be just so much fun. And uh, I hope you will join us then. Anyway, thanks for watching Drive to Win. I'll see you next week.